What is up, everyone? I am Eric Smith, Editor-in-Chief at QBList.com. I am joined by Ryan Heath, as always. Today, we will be going through Scott Fishbowl 12. It is a massive industry league um, hosted by Scott Fish. Raises a ton of money for charity. Uh, Thousands of people are in this league, fans and analysts alike. Uh, Really great way to meet people, to get involved in the industry, to learn a bunch about fantasy football, and have a good time competing for that number one overall prize which i think is just a trophy but it's okay this is a prestigious league so we don't need money on the line for this one but in typical nfl fashion uh we had some news drop right before we recorded this podcast that we're going to address up front uh we finally saw baker mayfield freed from cleveland he is now a member of the carolina panthers uh fourth or a fifth round pick depending on how much he plays is all it took to get him to carolina uh i am joined by ryan heath I don't think this one has some of the fantasy implications that some of these other trades we've seen this offseason. But Ryan, how are you? And what do you think about the Panthers with Baker Mayfield joining the roster? Hey, Eric, I'm doing great. Thanks. I'm also very excited to get into the Scott Fishbowl talk uh, right after this. But yeah, as far as Baker Mayfield goes, I think it's one of those transactions where we're a little bit bored, like the preseason actual news hasn't really started up yet. So we're happy to just latch on to anything we can. I I won't lie. As soon as I saw that come across my phone screen, I logged right into Twitter. I was ready to fire off a take, but I get into my drafts and I realize I don't, there isn't a take here. Like this is not that big of a deal really for anybody in fantasy football. Yeah. Yeah. I, I messaged you in our discord channel Uh, One of the drawbacks of being an analyst at times is you see how these takes just spiral immediately. I mean, we've for months, anyone on the Panthers has been dead to us from a fantasy football perspective, basically. And as soon as Baker Mayfield moves there, we've got hot takes all over the Internet, uh, hyping up DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey. He's going to be, you know, a safer pick now at number one overall. Uh, You know, the takes are already in full force. I agree with you. It does not move the needle a whole lot. I think it's just another reminder that we need to be in front of the news when it comes to NFL news uh, and fantasy football. Like what you should have done is bought low on DJ Moore or whoever else before they got a competent quarterback, uh, because it literally takes like three hours for Twitter to have kind of gone through the entire cycle. And now maybe they're uh, overrated in Carolina. Yeah, I agree completely. I think the only real actionable thing for me that comes out of this news is that now I can actually stack DJ Moore with a quarterback in best ball that I'm confident is going to play probably, I would say over under like nine, 10 games with him is what I'd be confident in Mayfield playing without an injury. Um, as you were saying before the, we started recording, it, there's a possibility here that Baker isn't just going to play like all 17 games for the Panthers. Uh, they didn't give up a whole lot for him. His contract is ending. They just drafted Matt Coral. So if they're a losing team, then why would they not be seeing what they have in the rest of their quarterback room if they're like four and 12 towards the end of the year? Yeah, exactly. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, not only do they draft a rookie quarterback, which they traded up to get in the third round, that's a whole different story. They still have Sam Darnold. They're pretending like uh, it's going to be a competition, I think, as of now. I, I think Baker will win that job, but He took a beating last year. Uh, We'll see if he stays healthy for the entire season. We'll see if he plays all the games, if the Panthers have a bad record. So I I think that kind of takes us to our question of Baker Mayfield. We know he's not a QB1 in your traditional single quarterback leagues, but how do we feel about him as a QB2 in Superflex? I 
I do think there are enough concerns that maybe you don't get that full 17 games out of him, that he's not a locked in, like draft him as your QB do QB two and just, just count on him every week. Uh, but I do think he'll see the field a lot. It's just not a real exciting choice chance of some missed games. So it's hard to rank him too highly. So um, I'm guessing you agree with me on that one. Any takes as far as, as uh, Baker Mayfield in the Superflex League? Yeah, I mostly see Mayfield as somebody that we're going to be streaming out of desperation maybe around like week 10. But I, I'm he's not somebody that I'm planning to draft to fill my QB2 slot. Um, the one stat that I wanted to bring up about Baker um, is his – Percentage of pressure dropbacks that were self-inflicted. I uh, came across this one on Twitter a couple days ago, and I was immediately reminded uh, as soon as the news dropped. But so the number one quarterback for the highest percentage of pressure dropbacks that they inflicted on themselves, not their offensive line doing it to them, was Patrick Mahomes with 22%. Baker was number two with 21%. And then right below Baker was Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, both tied at 20%. So I think we can talk ourselves into Baker either being Pat Mahomes or Trevor Lawrence. So wherever you want to take this one, Eric, it, it is all you. Yeah, and I've been doing some quarterback research lately and just reminded how horrible Trevor Lawrence was statistically last year. So um, not great company. I'm going to guess he's a little bit more in the Trevor Lawrence and uh, Zach Wilson range. So um, I will say about the Panthers, they have a maybe a, a sneaky good roster. Like they've got, they improved their offensive line. Uh, we all love DJ Moore. They've got some playmakers on defense, so they could win a few games here, but I, I think we're probably looking at a league average offense for the most part. Um, I, I do think that this helps DJ Moore's floor. Like I, I think that the offense has um, fewer ways to just completely tank this year. They at least have some options at quarterback. And I do think Baker is an upgrade over Sam Darnold. So I think DJ Moore, maybe his floor is raised, but I mean, this is still Baker Mayfield who couldn't get touchdowns to Odell Beckham really in Cleveland. I know it's a different offense, but um, that's been a knock on DJ Moore, like you mentioned earlier in the day to me. And I'm not sure that we can really project DJ Moore for a huge touchdown number now that Baker Mayfield's in town. Yeah, one of these years is going to be the DJ Moore scores 12 touchdowns years. And I'm I'm going to finally be right about DJ Moore. But until that day comes, I, I and I don't think this is that day frankly, with Baker Mayfield. Um, yeah, yeah the, just the pace is still going to be slow. I, I just can't get excited about this offense. If you're drafting DJ Moore, it's because DJ Moore is awesome and he's going to command a target share that is yeah. locked in that you know will be there. Um, but unfortunately, I, I don't still don't think he carries amazing upside. Yeah. Yeah, I still love DJ Moore. Uh, great from a dynasty perspective. Um, nice floor player, but yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And then CMC, I mean, this shouldn't uh, move the needle on CMC for you. It's all about health with him. We've seen him dominate with multiple quarterbacks. So I, I don't see this changing much for McCaffrey, other than if you're just tired of watching Sam Darnold last year. So um, other than that, I think the big takeaway from a fantasy perspective is uh, this is kind of one of those examples where um, – the Browns were not able to get anything in a trade because the entire league knew that they needed to trade him. Uh, it kind of goes the same way for fantasy football. If the whole league knows that you need to trade somebody, you're probably not going to get as much back. So uh, maybe try to preemptively trade your players before you're stuck in a, a Baker Mayfield Browns situation. So uh, any last thoughts as we get out of here? I mean, I know we're going to have to wait on, you know, what happens in Cleveland at the quarterback situation. That's a topic for a whole nother podcast, but anything else here on the Panthers? 
Not really. I would just say do not draft Harris Marshall. I, I saw his name coming up on tw- my Twitter timeline today. J- just don't do that to yourself, please. Sell high in Dynasty, maybe. If you can call it selling high. Yeah, if you can get anything for him, I go for it, I guess. I, I think I... I think I sold him for like a fourth round pick earlier this offseason. I, I I mean, I'd endorse that trade at this point. So go for it. All right. Let's get on to Scott Fishbowl. I teased it up top. Huge industry-wide tournament. Fans, analysts all coming together. Uh, very joyous occasion. Kind of the unofficial kickoff to like redraft, I think, every year is when Scott Fishbowl comes out. So um, if you follow Ryan on Twitter, uh, it looked like he cracked the code for the scoring on this league uh, last night. Was that the night before? Very recently. And uh turns out maybe we were just reading the rules wrong. So um yeah, Ryan, you want to get into some of the scoring? Because there is a lot to read here. And it certainly helped me to have you um, decipher from of it and then some of it and then also get clarification from Scott Fish on some of these rules. He, he chimed in and helped us out here. Yeah, I, ju- I just want to be clear that this, this is not a case of me misreading rules. This is a case of it be being misleading on the official website and Scott fish himself luckily came in to correct me, which was very nice of him. Uh, but yeah, anyways, getting, getting into the actual real rules for the Scott fishbowl. Uh, the first thing that you'll notice is the scoring is not really like your typical league. So starting at the quarterback position, it's six point passing touchdowns. Okay. You've, we've, played in some of those leagues before that's not super crazy uh but then there is a bonus for every completion over 66.6 percent so basically if a quarterback completes more than two-thirds of his passes over the season he will or sorry within a game i suppose then he will get a half point bonus for each one of those completions but if within a game he completes less than two-thirds of his passes he gets a negative one point penalty per incompletion. So this is really going to benefit the accurate, efficient quarterbacks. And it's really, really going to drag down the sort of gunslinger types that aren't all that efficient with their attempts. And then on top of that, it's also minus four for interceptions. So this is like Jameis Winston's worst nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, we'll get to my teams later. Uh, my past teams, uh, he, he shows up on a roster, two of mine. So I've learned my lesson at quarterback. So th- this is also going to take down some of the uh, rushing quarterbacks because typically you get six points for a rushing touchdown, only four points for a passing touchdown. Helps normalize that a little bit. Helps add uh, some bonuses for completion percentage. So um, this does tend to uh, benefit some of maybe the boring quarterbacks that in normal fantasy leagues we just can't get any value out of. So who are some of these quarterbacks that you see jump up or jump down according to the scoring? Yeah, so every year in the Scott Fishbowl, everybody gets excited about Derek Carr. It's that it's just that one and only time of year that we all get excited about Derek Carr when we're preparing for the Scott Fishbowl. Uh, another example would be somebody like Kirk Cousins. Uh, Tom Brady, of course, has has been a classic like very high performer in this type of scoring just those efficient pocket passers are going to be really at worst very dependable qb2s in the super flex league or at best they're going to be approaching the top of the quarterback scoring yeah and also being super flex 
Um, and this is a sharp league. And with the potential for negative scores from your quarterbacks, uh, these quarterbacks fly off the board. So you can expect uh, if you don't get your quarterback in the first two rounds, if you don't get one quarterback in the first two rounds, you're in trouble. If you don't get two, you're probably still going to feel a little sketchy about your QB two. So they fly off the board because of this. Um, the As you said, the efficient quarterbacks get a boost. And then maybe the rushers like Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, they kind of fall down some. Um, I think probably Hertz maybe is established enough where there's a little less concern, right? Uh, I mean, we kind of have seen him make it through a season, um, you know, move the offense. They've got some weapons. But I think when you start getting into like Justin Fields, especially, it's it's maybe a little scary to take him in Scott Fishbowl. Yeah, I with Jalen Hurts specifically, I'm a believer that he's going to improve as a passer this year. But yeah, with, with the like, I, I don't really know what to call this archetype of fantasy football quarterback but they're the players that all the real life football fans think are terrible but we love them in fantasy because they may not be efficient and they may not be very accurate throwers but maybe they throw the ball deep and they run the ball a lot and that gets us fantasy points that that type of quarterback is going to be devalued in this league yeah and I think Justin Fields is probably one of the better examples he's going to be getting you negative points in those games where he's making like 40% of his pass attempts. Like he, like he had some of last year. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think even like, you know, young quarterbacks, um, rookies or, or second year players are a little bit scary in this league as well. I mean, I've taken some rookie quarterbacks in the past in this league. And I mean, even, I even had Joe Burrow his rookie year and he had some rough games. Uh, he obviously had some good games. He's better than uh, Trevor Lawrence. who I took last year, but like, these young quarterbacks who aren't established yet can really give you some huge duds in this format. So uh, make sure you are ready to draft quarterbacks early and often because they're going to fly off the board. So uh, would you, would you go into any more than that right now at the quarterback position other than just uh, draft them early and make sure they're efficient passers? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Just echoing what you said, you, you cannot mess around with quarterback in this league. I I mean, I understand the temptation to like, Oh, I'm going to, zig where everyone else is zagging and go zero quarterback and not draft one until like the sixth round uh but it's gonna end in pain for you more more often than not yeah Um, yeah, more on that later we'll we'll get into some drafting strategies and some of our past teams so we can go into maybe when to draft quarterbacks here in a little bit so um you want to jump over to the other positions here now for the scoring sure so for the running back and the wide receiver position uh it's pretty typical it's half PPR, and also half point per first down. Uh, I like half point per first down leagues. Uh, they, they generally will benefit running backs slightly over wide receivers, um, but the wide receivers that are getting down the field and making plays and moving the sticks are being rewarded rather than like the two-yard two outs over and over again in PPR leagues, just racking up the fantasy points. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it doesn't really change that much with how you value the positions. Um, But what is more important probably is just how relatively how you're going to weigh these against quarterback and tight end as we'll get into in a minute. Do you you have any other thoughts on running back wide receiver? Yeah, I don't let the half point for first down 
influence too much here. I mean, when a receiver catches a pass, it's it's usually a first down anyway. I think maybe some of these check down running backs, maybe it dings a little bit, you know, you'd, maybe you'd rather have the, the guy running up the middle for a first down as opposed to catching the dump off on third down short of the sticks. But no, I don't really um, let that change much. I, I will say that I found the wide receiver scoring seems to be a lot flatter in this league compared to the other positions. And so I have tended to uh, prioritize other positions first and then be willing to punt wide receiver to some extent and then load up on them later. So uh, we'll get to that in the the draft construction part. But yeah, I, I would just say I, I don't factor in nearly as much of this part of the scoring as I do the quarterback scoring. Yep. Agreed on all counts. So moving into tight end, it is tight end premium in the Scott Fishbowl and re- really to a pretty dramatic extent compared to some tight end premium leagues that you might have played in before. So tight ends get an extra half point per first down and an extra half point per reception. So any catch that goes for a first down for a tight end, that's two points right there plus the yardage. So th- this really makes the elite tight ends like your Travis Kelsey's and last year, certainly your Mark Andrews be premier fantasy options, especially because the gap at the position is so big after that elite tier, it can definitely make sense to lock up one of those elite tight ends if you feel confident that they're going to perform. Yeah, and that's also going to kind of water down the touchdowns a little bit, I guess, for tight ends, right? I mean, you're going to get more points for the receptions, more points for the just, you know, yards and receptions together. So um, I, I don't think you're quite as focused on these these tight ends that'll catch 45 passes, but maybe score seven touchdowns. You're kind of looking for these volume guys. So I, I think that's kind of what we're looking at here, right? You get the the high volume players like we should be at tight end and just kind of hope the touchdowns work out for you in the end. For sure. Uh, but I mean, obviously, touchdowns still help. And yeah. they, they and I believe that the NFL officially scores any touchdown as a first down. Uh, I know Scott Fish went into some detail on how that was going to like uh, particularly work uh, on both Sleeper and my fantasy league. It went a little bit over my head, but <laughs> I I think we're probably we aren't mad if our tight ends are scoring touchdowns. But yeah, de- you definitely are looking for the higher volume players. Right now, and I will say, um, I was, you know, I was trying to take a risk here and take uh, Kyle Pitts last year in the fourth round, uh, just kind of swinging for the fences with this tight end premium. Uh, he obviously did not score like any touchdowns last year. Um, he still had a lot of volume, though. Uh, I would not take him again in the fourth round if that's the kind of uh, stat line I'm going to get from him. So um, while we are uh, kind of pushing up these tight ends up the rankings, um, you still need a little bit better of a season, I think, than what Pitts did last year to really make you feel good about some of the players you're passing on here to take them. So um, I guess that's just kind of a reminder. They are bumped up. They are much more valuable. But, uh, you, you know, if they get, what, one touchdown, it's still not going to pay off for you. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It doesn't mean that you should suddenly be targeting mid-tier tight ends if you're the type that doesn't normally do that. Um, yep. All right. And then finally, I guess I have to mention the kicker scoring. This might be the only league I play in this year that has a kicker. Right. Um, so it, in this league, you can flex kickers uh, and the scoring, they, they are so insanely buffed over a normal league. They get one point for any made kick and 0.1 point per yard that that kick was so a 50 yard field goal is going to be worth six points if i did that math right in my head checks out awesome (laughs) so yeah they are gonna end up kind of well it's hard to say really 
last year with the scoring, Scott Fish said that you probably would want to start about the top 10 to 12 kickers in like a flex spot. So just to give you like an idea that they're probably going to still be like low end flex plays, but that might that you might get that at value depending on what your what your league is going to value kickers like. Yes, and that was one thing I noticed last year. Uh, my team got hit by injuries. It was it was shallow. Um, it was not a good team. But I found that my league had completely avoided kickers, rightfully so. Uh, but I could pretty much just pick up whoever I wanted every week on waivers if I was desperate to start somebody in the flex. So I wouldn't tire up your roster spots. Um, you know, I would go for some higher upside plays. But just know if you're in your draft and they are not drafting kickers in your league. Uh, they'll be there for you on waivers. It might lean you to take some more risky players late in your drafts because you know that you can – I mean, I picked up Tyler Bass last year. was starting him getting, you know, decent points for my flex spot when I really needed it. So keep an eye on how your league is drafting because if they are just ignoring the position, you are going to have some flex-worthy plays on a weekly basis. And I think it's generally pretty easy to stream kickers when you have um, that big of a range of kickers you can pick from. Uh, it's kind of easy to know that kickers that aren't going to give you goose eggs, good offense against a bad defense, you're going to get some points out of them. Yeah. And I'll also just add that if you're the type of person that wants to go elite at the kicker position for some reason, then you are wrong because I, I believe kickers are the position we are the worst at predicting who is going to be the top few scorers every year. It, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, speaking as somebody that hasn't really played in a lot of leagues with kickers, over the in the last three years or so but still it's it's not we're we're not good at projecting that preseason yeah and people go by the names i mean as someone who has to rank the kickers every week for the fantasy pros rankings like players like uh, daniel carson for the the raiders was awesome last year and he's always undervalued like the, the justin tuckers are going to go off the board and then nobody knows what they're doing at kicker so yeah i would not take one early and i probably I'm not even going to draft one. Just just know that you're going to be able to pick some up throughout the year when you're in a bind at your flex position. Yep. All right. So now we can just sort of move into the starting lineup and the general league format. So the lineup is as follows. It is you start one quarterback, one super flex, two running backs, three wide receivers, one tight end, and four flexes. So this is a pretty deep league. The draft is 22 rounds. So that generally that's going to mean that the waiver wire is going to be thinner than your average redraft league, especially at the positions of quarterback, just because of the huge demand for them. Probably it, over 32 quarterbacks will be drafted in your draft. Uh, and also at tight end, because tight end is a dumpster fire every single year. And if you you're stuck streaming tight ends, then that is pretty tough for you. Yeah, I would say about tight end, like, I mean, last year I got, I know these aren't exciting names, but I got Dan Arnold and Tyler Conklin very late. And I, I think they probably produced about as well as some of these mid-round targets we're going for. So I, I think I tend to go stars and scrubs at tight end in a format like this, because you still will have those kind of uh, serviceable tight ends pop up during the year like Dan Arnold that you can get spot starts out of. So I would just say take one early if you want to, but don't go out of control. We've talked about in previous podcasts. Don't go out of control drafting the Irv Smith types, like maybe one of them, but don't spend three mid-round picks on those kind of players. 
Yeah, agreed completely. I mean, to kind of to my point there, you're, you're right that you can find tight end production late, but those are players that you drafted. You're going to have a lot yeah. harder of a time finding it on waivers like you would in a normal league. Uh, so that that's really all I was trying to say. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, waivers I, is bad. It, it, it's rough in this uh, weekly waivers. You're putting in uh, bids, I believe. Um, it's a competitive league, deep rosters. It's there's not much out there. I mean, if you need to try to find a wide receiver midseason, uh, good luck because it is a, a wasteland out there. Yep. So kind, kind of just looking at it overall, I would say that you you're heavily incentivized to go quarterback early. Uh, you're fairly incentivized to get an elite running back if you're able to just stop me if you disagree at any point and you're incentivized to get either an elite tight end or a second quarterback within the first three rounds i would i would say that's like your shopping list is a running back one to two quarterbacks and maybe a tight end yes i would agree so when it comes to a tournament like this, especially when it's free, I really try to take risks and go against the grain and play to win. Um, I think we're going to talk about that a lot here coming up is playing to win a tournament like this. It doesn't matter if you get in the playoffs, you don't get your money back. So you should be playing to win. And so in the past, I've tried to zig a little bit on quarterback, um, knowing that it was not the right move, just hoping I could nail a couple of these later round ones like Trevor Lawrence last year. Um, but it almost feels like maybe quarterback is just kind of like um, the first eliminator. It's kind of like if you did not take a quarterback early, okay, we're going to cross you off and the rest of the, the teams are going to compete. So I am not going to do that strategy this year. Um, I've picked four right now. Um, I, you know, hey, if anyone in my league is listening, I'm going to take whatever quarterback I can there at pick four. I'm not making the mistake again. So I, it's, it's tempting to try to get weird. I mean, I took McCaffrey last year. Like it's not like I was drafting a bum here, um, but it, it's just – with those six point touchdowns, with those completion percentage bonuses, with the negative point possibilities, like you just get crushed if you do not hit quarterbacks. So maybe a team can wait this year, get a couple late round guys. You know, maybe maybe they hit on Derek Carr. He has a huge year with. Uh, he's not going to be late round, but you know, maybe you hit on a couple guys lower down in the rankings. But uh, the, the odds are you're going to whip them completely, and you're just going to be eliminated early on. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I definitely empathize with your desire to try to get weird or to win the whole thing by doing something that no one else is doing. But the fact is there there is somebody else doing that super zany strategy that you think this is a league of thousands. So I, I think the best thing to do is to take the, take the positional value at different points in the draft. So for example, I, I think wide receiver in the first round is a bad value. I, I think that yep. general in 90% of the Scott Fishbowl leagues, you are going to get very good and potentially league winning wide receiver production well into like the sixth, seventh round. The, these receivers generally drop down the boards. You, your job is to react to how the market is valuing these different positions. So, it, mm-hmm. I mean, you can be the guy that just takes Cooper Cup with like the fifth overall pick, but. It's it's extremely unlikely to lead you to a position where you're going to win. Yep. And I mean, last year I got Amon Ross St. Brown in the 17th round. I got Russell Gage in the 14th round. Like you can find some receivers. I know we talk about how wide receivers not as deep as it looks. And I, I do agree with that. Um, but you can still find players late that are going to produce for you. Uh, just take the quarterback scoring and then running backs. I mean, 
you know, you know the cutoff of the RB ones. You know the locked in guys. Try to get one of those, and then I would probably say wait as possible. Avoid that dead zone if you can fit a tight end, tight end in there, sure. But like you said, early rounds you should be focused on quarterbacks, a stud running back, maybe a tight end, and then figure out receiver later. Yep. All right. Just kind of moving on to the playoff format, uh, which I, which is what I was confused about on Twitter yesterday when I thought I had cracked the entire Scott Fishbowl. But as it turns out, the playoff format is much simpler than I was thinking it, (laughs) it was originally. Uh, So essentially it, it is a very long playoff um, to, to be, to be honest it. So the regular season season runs weeks one through 11, Uh, the playoffs start week 12, a certain percentage are eliminated by points every single week. In, through the playoffs uh, and your score during each week of the playoffs is whatever you score that week plus your average score in the entire season before that point. So if you're a good regular season team in weeks one through 11, that is going to help you somewhat in the playoffs. I would, but it still does matter how you're doing in weeks 12, 13, 14, 15, all the way through to week 17. So I I would almost compare this to like a cross between like a giant best ball tournament, like the puppy or uh, best ball mania on underdog. It's a cross between that and between like just a weeks one through 17 points league where you are just super want the entire season to be very good production all the way through. Uh, So with that in mind, I think that stacking is very important in the Scott Fishbowl. What do you think about that, Eric? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I tweeted you the winning roster from last year. Um, no surprise, I had Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase on it when they went nuclear at the end of the year. So, yeah, you're going to have to hit that player or that that stack at the end that goes off. Um, obviously, that's a lot easier said than done when we're we're talking about this before the season's even started. But, yes, I would certainly stack. Um, even if it's some cheaper stacks, I mean, I know we all want the number one stack on the team, but even if, if you can get yourself, um, you know, a, a Justin Herbert in a late round, like Josh Palmer or something, just something to give you a little bit of an out in case uh, you do make it far, you need a late round flex play and, and you kind of plug him in and it goes off. So uh, yes, I would definitely be stacking. And as deep as these rosters are, you can stack a few different people with your quarterback. Yeah. my I mean, my favorite, like cheap late round stack was, Last year in the satellite tournament for the Scott Fishbowl, I drafted Josh Allen with my first pick in the first round. I was like fourth overall or something. And in like the 17th, I took Dawson Knox. And that that was most of my tight end production. It, yep. Stacking just leads you into being correct if you're correct. If you're wrong, you were wrong anyway. It stacking means you have to be correct less times. You only if you take both the QB and the pass catcher. If you're right, you get to be right on both of them. If you were wrong, you were wrong anyway. That's a that's all it is. It, it's really it's not like oh I'm the genius that knows exactly which stack to do. It's I understand that I probably don't know how all of these players are going to pan out. So I would rather set myself up to be the most correct on the chance that I am. 
Yeah, and it's really important when you're competing against thousands of people. I mean, it's going to get cut down in the playoffs, but you're still going against hundreds of people. And so you just need every edge you can. So, yeah, you just want the team that goes off weeks 14 through 17, however many weeks we have nowadays. But, um, yeah, you just want that stack that's going to go off for you and carry the rest of your team. And then you get a couple contributors, and all of a sudden you're, you know, maybe got a chance at the finals. So totally agree with you. And I would also, um, one thing I've learned from this draft, there are lots of cool tools out there where you can track ADP. You can track if you're getting players ahead of or behind ADP. Um, you don't want to reach on players, but don't get too focused in that stuff. Um, don't, you're not going to win the draft based on how many ADP points you saved, you know, up front. Um, if you have a stack that you want and you need to reach around, I really don't think it's the end of the world here because it's just, it's such a deep draft. Um, there's so many good drafters. Chances are somebody else is probably eyeing that player as well. So be conscious of ADP. Um, don't jump too many rounds up for a player, uh, but don't be married to it. I, I think you're going to cost yourself some good stacks if you do that. Yeah. And on, on the ADP thing, I will say, don't be the guy on Twitter. There's this guy every year, the guy on Twitter that's complaining that his Scott fishbowl league is drafting too slowly. Mm -hmm. Guess what? That's an advantage because all of a sudden, you know, where all of these players are, have been going in real actual drafts. They run lots of mock drafts beforehand. There's ADP that you can find right now on the internet, but no, nothing beats the real thing, knowing that these players are being selected at these rounds and you can react accordingly to whether you need to take somebody ahead of ADP or knowing that you can wait on them and knowing that you'll be getting a value relative to all of the other teams that drafted AJ Brown at the 306. Yep. Totally agree. Now we'll also say, don't be the guy that purposely stalls it guy or girl that uh, purposely stalls it. I've seen those people before who um, stall the league because they want to see the ADP. Let's not do that. Let's keep it moving along, but um, it does benefit if it takes a little bit. So uh, yeah, definitely seen that play out. So um, any other big takeaways before we uh, destroy my past rosters in the Scott Fishbowl and we praise your satellite winning team? <laughs> I don't think so. I, I just want to defend myself a little bit that I will definitely not be the person holding up my league because I will hopefully, fingers crossed, be at the live draft in Boston, which is going to oh, take awesome. place this weekend after the Scott Fishbowl kicks off. So I'll already know all the ADP, but so will everybody else that's drafting against me. But it should be yep. a lot of fun. And I, I'm sure that I will be tweeting out updates from that event. Yep. And I'll be slow drafting from the Cincinnati division. Really excited about that as well. Hopefully uh, I get to connect with some people in the area. Um, so yeah, it's, I was, I was excited to be able to like pick my band last year or get put in the toy division the year before, but I think I'm more proud to rep the, uh, the local division and be a part of uh, Cincinnati. So uh, yeah, really excited for this year. Um, just again, very happy that Scott fish does this. It's just a really good way to get excited for the upcoming season. So all right, let's get into these past rosters. Uh, what do you think, Ryan? Should we start with my teams or your team? Well, you have two teams, so I, I say we start with whichever of your teams you'd like, and then we can move into mine. Okay. I might just do some general takeaways, too. I'm not sure if anyone cares about my team from two years ago, but um, I've been in for two straight years, not made the playoffs either year. Had some just horrible injury luck in uh, Scott Fishbowl 10. So I, I almost just want to throw that one out. I, I I tweeted my roster after week three, uh, just checked off all the injured players. And it's like, you know, almost my first 11 picks. So we'll, we'll, maybe we'll throw that one out. But last year, pick two overall. Um, instead of being smart and taking quarterback, I tried to take Christian McCaffrey. I thought, hey, I'll get a heads up on the running back position. 
um, you know, get that extra however many points it is a week, eight points a week, and hopefully I hit these quarterbacks. Obviously, it doesn't help when your running back isn't healthy all year. So Christian McCaffrey killed me. But I, I think it's worth pointing out that I still got Aaron Jones at 211 last year. Um, so it shows you how long these running backs last. Like, I'm, I'm looking at some of the players that went after Aaron Jones in my draft. Um, I mean, there was like Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, Cam Akers. People were, you know, hyped up on him. Like, these running backs are going to last. Najee Harris was a third-round pick. So uh, just be prepared for them to fall. I made the mistake of just thinking I was jumping on these values. Um, so basically, I tried to pivot by taking Trevor Lawrence, a high upside pick in the third round. Um, I did obviously not factor in Urban Meyer enough. Um, and then for some reason, I drafted Carson Wentz for the second straight year um, in Scott Fishbowl. So I learned my lesson on that one. But um, other than that, had a lot of receiver injuries. That never helps. But just when you start two running backs, um, it's just it's just a killer. So I'm not going to be doing that one again. Um, otherwise, though, I mean, I like my construction in general. Um, you just you know, if you're going to draft the running backs, they got to stay healthy, and that that certainly did not happen. Yeah, it's in my opinion, it's very tough to win these like large pool tournament type of leagues uh, going to running backs at the top, just yeah. because there by definition, there's only going to be one or two truly game changing running backs every year. Uh, it, it was Jonathan Taylor last year, kind of. Uh, he honestly was not a crazy RB1 overall season, but he was the RB1 overall nonetheless. So the point of drafting a running back early is you're hoping you hit on that guy. But if you're drafting multiple in the first couple rounds, you're you're almost admitting that one of them is not going to be that guy. And if they're not that guy, you're much better off picking a quarterback. So mm -hmm. it, I would say take your one shot. There, honest, there aren't that many running backs that I'm all that crazy about in the early rounds this year anyway. So that kind of helps yeah. with this a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I, I would say there's no reason to come out of the first two or three rounds with multiple running backs. Yeah. And especially if you're going to take your out yourself out of the first round of taking a running back and you're going to get a quarterback, uh, probably a lot of those second round running backs aren't ideal. So, and, and really the ripple effect when you don't take the quarterbacks early here is you feel forced to take them and you end up taking Trevor Lawrence before you want to, you take Carson Wentz before you want to, like, it just, there's such a tension on these quarterbacks. And if you don't take them, no matter how cool you think you're going to be and sit back and wait, you're going to press it. You're going to see how long it is before your next pick and you're going to make mistakes. So yes, take quarterbacks. Um, I, I think I agree with you. It, it's probably ideal to not take a running back within the first four rounds. I don't know. Um, we'll have to see who's available later than that, but uh, we've certainly seen some zero RB teams do well in this in the past. Um, like some extreme zero RB teams. So uh, if that's your style, you can definitely embrace that here. Yeah. I, I mean, just kind of thinking in, in normal fantasy football, like the running back position and the wide receiver position are the two where you are most likely to find difference makers in like the middle to later rounds for wide receivers. It's usually the middle rounds. Um, that's your Cooper cups. Uh, yeah. But, and for running backs, you, you can find good production very late in drafts especially with benches this deep, you can draft all the like zero RB flyers you want. Like this is like a zero RB dream or a, a hero RB dream is if I want to be more responsible, but yeah. Yeah. yeah that, and I mean, I know we've, we've uh, you know, advocated for waiting on receiver, but once you do start drafting them, you're going to hammer the position. And I mean, two running backs, three receivers and four flex. That means you can start seven receivers and you only need two running backs. And whenever you're in that situation, 
like as long as you can piece together one running back, even if your RB2 is no good, it's fine if the rest of your roster is stacked. So uh, you could make it really far in this league on one running back and practically just punting second running back. Obviously, you want some depth for injuries. You want some uh, lottery tickets on breakouts. But like you can have a bad RB2 in this league. I promise you, you'll be just fine. Yeah. And that, that goes for any league. I, the more yeah. flex spots that, yeah, but the more flex spots that are in a league, the less your RB2 matters because, because the, I mean, the scoring is very flat after like the top, even like really the top seven or eight RBs every year. Yeah. If you don't have one of those guys, it doesn't really matter who's in your RB2 slot. If you get two of those guys, it's pretty good, but that that's like very unlikely. That would be that would be you hit on Jonathan Taylor and Najee Harris last year, which I, I I did that in one league, but not 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 by any not by any skill on my part, I would say. Right, and I would also say what this applies to any deep league. Um, one drawback is that it's a, it's a deep league. Waivers are going to be bad for running backs, so even though you're going to wait on them, you do need to have your late round targets in mind because. Uh, if you're counting on picking up waivers like you would in a normal league, a lot of these stashes and handcuffs are already going to be on rosters. So you don't have to take them early, but make sure that back half of your draft, uh, you know, whether it's some of these, you know, random rookies that I'm into like Snoop Connor or whatever, like just make sure you have some of those names on your radar, you know, where their ADP is and you make sure you don't miss them because, um, eventually you're going to get kind of a point of no return at running back and you're going to be grasping just for bodies to draft. So have a plan in the late rounds with your running backs. Yes. And you, I mean, you definitely want to draft all of your late running back sleepers, your Tyrion Davis prices, your Khalil Herberts. Uh, we've talked ad nauseum about a lot of them on this podcast in the last few weeks. So yeah, I definitely will be having all of those like taped to a sticky note on my laptop. Yeah. And other than that, all I'll say about my uh, Scott Fishbowl 10 draft is, I mean, I really got trapped. It was my first year. I was at pick 112 and Michael Thomas fell to me, which this was back when Michael Thomas was an unstoppable force. And I just felt trapped into picking him. Um, don't feel trapped. Like, again, like I know ADP, we need to pay attention to it. But if you want to go quarterback and somebody falls to you, you can still go quarterback. Uh, maybe somebody on Twitter will make fun of you, but don't worry about it. Everyone's going to forget about it in a week. So um, take who you want, stick to your strategy. Even if somebody falls, there there might be a good reason for it. Yeah, agreed completely. It, I would, yeah, you, I'm not often a person that says you need to stick to your one strategy, regardless of how the draft pans out. But I, I would say don't get caught up in thinking you're the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the positional differences are are important enough in this league that you should stick to kind of an archetype here. So, all right. So Ryan is in Scott Fishbowl 12 because he won a Scott Fishbowl 11 satellite draft. Um, awesome work. I think we have seven staffers um, who are in Scott Fishbowl this year from QB list. So congratulations to everyone. Um, but Ryan, let's get into your satellite winning roster um this is the team that you drafted just kind of go us through what you did right your takeaways what you're going to try to you know uh run back here in, in 2022 yeah it's it's a really good thing that i won that draft last year because this podcast i would be very disengaged in this podcast <laughs> if i were not in this league uh, i'm i'm sure I, i'm sure that my charming personality and 600 twitter followers would have gotten me into it even if i hadn't won well, nah, we'll just i would have just asked somebody case. else to be on don't worry about it <laughs> Um, so yeah, going through the satellite draft that I won last year, uh, it's a pretty similar overall kind of thesis as far as roster construction goes to what we've been talking about. 
Um, but the big difference was that that satellite draft was best ball. I don't think it made that big of a difference to how I drafted. I was still trying to really pay attention to roster construction and get my stacks where I could just like I would in a best ball league. Um, but I'm, I'm still going to do that this year, even in the managed Scott fishbowl league. So I started off with Josh Allen at the one Oh six. Uh, I, I was definitely going quarterback pretty much no matter what happened. And Allen was the top QB on my board, I believe. So I was pretty happy to get him there. Uh, after that, I, plan to go a second quarterback in round two but i immediately noticed that this league was not drafting quarterbacks very heavily uh a lot of the adp was showing uh like up guys like tom brady and aaron Rodgers going in the second round in most leagues but they were still around in the third round of this league so it was very clear to me that this league was undervaluing qv which meant that i could pivot to running back in the second round and i took jonathan taylor which obviously again was the type of player you have to hit on if you're going to win one of these giant tournaments. Uh, And then in the third round, I picked up Tom Brady at a ridiculous value. Remember uh, that these type of pocket passers are heavily favored in this scoring structure. And from there I decided since I missed out on all of the elite tight ends, it was time to just start going wide receiver over and over and over again. So I went AJ Brown, CD Lamb, Mike Evans for the stack, which was great. And then I hit on Jamar Chase in the seventh round. So you, with these wide receivers, it's really just higher volume, giving you the most chances to hit on those mid-round breakouts. Uh, I, a Cooper Cup would have been crazy if I'd hit on that too. Um, was probably possible. I would have to look at the draft board. But yeah, that I would say that that's the general strategy I'm going to be going into this year with as well. I I think this roster construction worked pretty well and should continue to. Hmm. Do you feel like you had any strategy or any thoughts on the late round picks that put you over the top or does it kind of just come down to nailing those elite players up in the top six, seven, eight rounds of this draft? Yeah, I mean, probably the best late round pick I made was Dawson Knox. Uh, no, I wasn't getting incredible production from anybody else. I, I mean, I had like Ty Johnson, who I was crazy big on last year. Uh, I drafted Rashad Bateman. He was fine when he played, but what wasn't a difference maker, obviously. Um, I would say in the late rounds, you should just mostly be focused on structure. So we know that tight end waiver wire is non-existent make sure you have like at least three tight ends if you don't have like a a elite producer at the position that's what's going to let you hit on those dawson knox type of guys um and yeah real really the same with running back and wide receiver i i would say that it's not all that crazy to just not take a third quarterback because if like, let's be real. If you're in the Scott Fishbowl against thousands of other people and you draft two QBs in the first three rounds, if they're not, if they don't both hit, like if one of them gets injured early or something, you're probably losing anyway, right? Like you, you drafting Teddy Bridgewater in the 15th round isn't going to save you. Yeah. I mean, that was actually going to be my next question is uh, you, you took Josh Allen first round, Tom Brady third, and then you got Bridgewater in the 15th. Um, I, I do think it makes sense to have a third, but you kind of talked me into maybe you don't need to. Um, I'll say when the season starts, a lot of these backup quarterbacks are going to be taken and sitting on benches. But 
after four weeks when all the quarterbacks are still healthy, like people are going to cut those backup quarterbacks, you know, the high upside ones. So um, you're going to see more options hit the waiver wire. And then when an injury comes up, you just got to beat everyone to them. But um, yeah, I, I think I would agree if you're as strong as Josh Allen and Tom Brady, I mean, when's the last time, you know, they missed significant time. Like, yeah, you probably don't need to worry about it. If you went Josh Allen and, you know, a riskier option, like, Trey Lance, maybe you think about it, but I mean, I suppose you're still kind of counting on Trey Lance to hit if you're going to win the league. So yeah, I, I do think um, you could probably argue both sides to that one. Probably just depends how much risk you want to take, but um, you, you kind of have to take a lot of risk in a tournament like this. Yeah. I, I mean, we can probably agree that if you have two elite quarterbacks, you're definitely not drafting one in like the eighth or the ninth round because there there's just a huge opportunity cost associated with that. I can get, I can understand maybe later that this actually is an example of the best ball format from the satellite coming in. That's probably why I made that pick just because there is no waiver wire that you can access. There's a 0% chance that you're going to pick up a backup QB that gets to start. So that was, that's probably what the thought process was. Not sure I would do the same thing in the main event this year. Okay. And then you pretty clearly do not need to hit on all of your picks. I mean, I see a, a Trey Sermon sticking out on your roster here. So uh, you can whiff a, a, an eighth round pick pretty badly. I mean, this is not a knock on you because I have a lot of Trey Sermon in Dynasty Leagues, but um, you can certainly whiff one here. Uh, you just got to really, I think, go for that ceiling. You need four or five of these guys to just truly break out at the top of your draft. Yeah. And like you said, my I view my RB2 position as a committee. So if Trey Sermon in the eighth round doesn't work out, that's fine. I've got Damian Harris in the ninth round. And yeah. I thought I had Ty Johnson in the 19th round that was going to get me production, but that, that didn't really work out the way I thought. I still think he's a good player. I, I yeah, that's maybe a topic for another podcast. He, he's got some burst. I don't know. I still like him. Is, is Ty Johnson still on the jets? I honestly couldn't tell you if I would, if I'm being honest, I don't actually know the answer to that. I believe that he is, but because um, I, I feel like I would have noticed if someone else got him. I, I've got my eye on Ty Johnson for sure. So, yeah, I, I feel like uh, I feel like Brees Hall probably has the inside track to that backfield. <laughs> According to Fancy Pros, Ty he is Johnson. still in New York. So, yeah, I All think right. they have the whole whole roster. I think even uh, Tevin Coleman's back. So, okay. So I think we really went into this tournament pretty well. I mean, obviously we could sit here and tell you which players to draft, but I mean, as much as we talk about the differences in scoring for Scott Fishbowl, when you get within a position for the most part, you're still just taking the players you like and the players you expect are going to break out. I mean, even the quarterback stuff we talked about with the scrambling quarterbacks, like if if, if Justin Fields or Trey Lance breaks out, they're probably still going to be a good quarterback in Scott Fishbowl. So I, I really think this tournament is more about construction and how you approach this from a strategy uh, perspective. So um, any last thoughts here that you want to get off your chest before we get out of here? No, you really hit the nail on the head. I, I view this much more as sort of a best ball-esque exercise in roster construction and strategy than I do who's going to draft the best players, which I mean... The person that drafts the best players wins, but it, there's not a process that you can re- consistently do that in such a large field. Yep. All right. Well, yeah, I think that was a lot of fun. I'm really looking for this, uh, forward to this draft starting. Um, I just want to give a shout out to some of our other QB list staffers in the Scott Fishbowl. Uh, Chris Sanzo, Dustin Ludke, Benjamin Holler, Drew DeLuca, and Justin Herrera. I think I got everyone. Apologies if I missed anyone, but I think this is a new high for us. We got seven in here. So I'm really excited about that. Um, excited, Ryan, that you're going to get the live draft because live drafting is the best. Um, I kind of wish we were doing one in Cincinnati. I feel like we could probably pull it off, but it's a little too late here. So really looking 
looking forward to it. Shout out again to Scott Fish for all the great things he does. Because at the end of the day, this is raising a bunch of money for Fantasy Cares. They buy a bunch of toys for kids, just awesome stuff like that. But they they kind of encourage you to just donate to whatever you want. So I would encourage all of you, if you're in the league or or otherwise, um, donate some money to a cause that you care about. Uh, because, uh, yeah, I, there's certainly people out there who need it right now. So um, hopefully this motivates you to donate some money. So um, other than that, uh, we will start getting into, um, you know, draft season is, is rapidly approaching. So uh, once we hit August, we're going to have a ranking podcast coming up. So we got a few more weeks to have some fun with some topics. So uh, we'll come to uh, you with a few of those here in uh, probably another week. Um, until then, though, enjoy your summer and talk to you next time.